absolutely no judgment at all, no matter how your business is going. And in fact, to those who are listening to the podcast now, as a small business owner or seriously preparing yourself to start a business, you should just be proud of yourselves that you have the courage and the perseverance to run a business with something you're passionate about. It may not go in as well as you wish right now, or you may feel you have no clue on what to do with the financing side of it. But that's why we're here for. We're here to support you, not judge you. Do you love your life as a small business owner? Let's be real. Sometimes we just don't. It's my hope that this, the My Daily Business podcast, helps you regain a little of that lost love through practical, actionable tips, tools, and tactics, interviews with creative and curious small business owners, and in-depth coaching episodes with me, your host, Fiona Kalaki. With more than 20 years' experience in marketing, brand, content, and systems, and having now helped thousands of small business owners, I know what it takes to build a business that you can be proud of and that actually aligns with your values, your beliefs, and your hopes for the future. So much of our daily life is spent working on and in the businesses and the brands that we are creating. And so it makes sense to actually love what you do. So let's get into this podcast and help you figure out how to love your business and your life on the daily. Hello and welcome to episode 334 of the My Daily Business podcast. Today, it is an interview with a small business owner and somebody that works at that small business as well, so a little different, but we're also going into a particular element of business that every single person who's in business has to get comfortable with, has to embrace, has to connect with this type of business. And so I thought it was so important to bring somebody in from that sector and talk about what is involved so that everyone can get a little bit more comfortable with talking about this sort of stuff. I know this sounds very mysterious. Before we get stuck into that, I want to acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians on the land on which I'm coming to you from, and that is the Wawarong and Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And I pay my respects to their elders past and present and acknowledge that sovereignty has never been ceded. The other thing I wanted to mention is that group coaching has officially closed. Thank you so much to everyone who applied. Check your email because we are in contact if we have not been in contact already. And also I wanted to say that around about this time, we always get questions around marketing for your small business. The course and coaching program will be kicking off in September. If you want to be part of that, you can head on over to marketingforyoursmallbusiness.com. If you already have the Marketing for Your Small Business course, then look out for an email because you can upgrade for a very small fee. All right, let's get into today's small business interview. All right. So as I said at the start, this is an interview that I have wanted to put out for ages. We had some tech issues on my side, some Zoom crashing and then the just yeah, recording not happening. But we got there in the end. And I have to say a massive, massive thank you to my guests because not only did they come on once to be recorded, they came on again to be recorded and they've done extra work as well around this. So I just so, so appreciate it. So who am I talking to? Well, today I'm talking to Tim Kemp and Estella Tang from MJA Accounting. Tim is one of the directors there, him together with, I think it's four partners that own the business. They have 26 accountants working for them and they are an incredible accounting firm. One of those incredible accountants is my accountant that I work with mainly, who's Estella Tang, but I also work with Tim. And Tim was really the reason that I I found out about MJA. My family member had been working with MJA for years and years and years. 
And during COVID, I had worked with an accountant on my small business for six years. And I thought they were doing a great job because I didn't really know any better. I didn't know what an accountant could actually do for your business. And so I'd worked with them. I really only talked to them around tax time. If I wanted to have another check-in with them, I could. It was a paid thing. And often they didn't have much time. I would go in, I would have to travel in physically into the city, go into a boardroom, have a conversation. They were fine, but I never really felt like they were proactive in helping me. I felt like, you know, I was a number to them. I was a small, small business and I wasn't, you know, I wasn't really a huge priority to them. Now, I did have a good relationship with my accountant. I want to put it out. The first people I worked with, I did have a good good relationship with them. I thought they were pretty helpful at times, but at other times they'd just be way too busy. It was almost like the systems weren't there to support things. And so when COVID kicked off in 2020 and like everybody else, I was like, oh my God, what are we going to do? I was incredibly fortunate that I had enough business coming in, but I didn't know how I was going to work on that business when I had a child that was, you know, seven months old and was not going to daycare, but I didn't have anyone, you know, no one could come and look after him either, like family members because of COVID and the restrictions. And then I had a child that was starting, you know, grade one and wasn't able to go to school. So there was, you know, homeschooling, baby trying to run a business from home. My husband also had to keep working from home. So it was just this madness. And I think, you know, accountants were one of the first people that everyone rushed to, like, oh my God, what am I entitled to? Are there any payments? How am I going to, you know, keep paying my staff? Like, how's it all going to work? What are the legal obligations that I have? All of these things. And so accountants were unbelievably busy in that period the whole way through. But I think especially at the start when everyone was sort of panicking. And so, I contacted my then accountant and set up a meeting and that meeting got cancelled twice in a row where I was really ready. I was like, you know, looking forward to it. I had organised, you know, everyone to be quiet for the 20 minutes that I'm going to be on the phone and twice that was cancelled. And so I remember talking to my sister and she said, why don't you talk to my accountants? They're brilliant. And so I did. And they gave me a full hour of their time, despite them being incredibly busy. We went on, I think it was Zoom or just, no, it was Zoom. And they just explained all these different things, not just about, you know, the current situation and government, you know, initiatives and everything else, but they also talked to me about my current company setup and what I could be doing better and had I thought about this and how does that even work? And none of my questions were seen as stupid. I didn't feel like an idiot asking anything. They were so kind. Tim was just really great at explaining sort of complex ideas to me, things that had not been explained to me before. And even when he questioned a few things, I was like, yeah, I haven't thought of that. And it was, you know, it's quite confronting as well. Being a business coach, I work with people with their money all the time, but I'm not an accountant. I don't know the ins and outs of all these different things. I don't know all the legal ins and outs of stuff, all the different company structures, all the different scenarios that you can you can have and go through when you are talking to an accountant who actually knows what they're doing. So I changed accountants and that was a lot of work, you know, to change accountants when you've worked with somebody, to reconcile things, to have the wonderful Estella Tang, who is my main accountant that I work with and have been working with now for years. She went through my zero and found, you know, a lot of kind of things that could have been done better or things that were incorrect or things that hadn't been reconciled properly. And so, there was definitely a moment of like, oh my God, oh my God, this is so much work, but also these people are going to see every little in and out of my business. You also are talking about your home life and your partner and, you know, all the things that are going on financially in your personal life as well. And so it was just an incredibly 
wonderful start to that relationship. And so I thought I would love to have Tim and Estella on the podcast today to talk about what does a good relationship between a small business and an accountant actually look like? What do accountants do aside from get you money back at tax time potentially? How can they help you on your small business journey? So MJA accounting, they're not just your typical accountants, but obviously they help people with tax time and all of that, but they also are proactive. They do business mentoring. They look at your financials. They have financial planners there. They have bookkeepers there. They look at the whole the whole scenario of, of how does your money come in? Where is it going? How do you get more of it back? Like all of it. And then how can you be proactive in your life? And as Tim talks about today, often they're hearing about things from a small business owner that that small business owner has not shared with anybody else. So it could be health challenges. They talk about gambling addiction. I mean, there's lots of things that can go on behind the scenes in somebody's business or where that money is going that potentially other people are not seeing. And so it's a really important conversation to have, I think, whether you want to change accountants. And I highly, highly, highly recommend MJA. And as I say to everyone who I've recommended them to, you know, I don't get a kickback. I don't get some sort of discount or anything for recommending them. I just genuinely recommend them because they are doing such an incredible job. And I've never, ever worked with people like this where they really feel like part of your team. There's no question that's stupid. They get back to every question. There's just a real support system there. And so I couldn't recommend them more highly. But whether you want to go with them or you just are thinking, I don't really talk to my accountant and maybe that's something that I want to do more of, I really hope that today's interview is going to help you figure that out, figure out the kind of questions that you want to ask, figure out the reports that maybe you're not looking at in terms of your financial reports and which reports you know every small business owner should be looking at regularly. And just a reminder, we did have to cut and re-record this episode. So, you know, just bear with us if you if you hear a sudden change, but I'm sure Scott, my editor, has done a great job. So here it is, my interview with the wonderful people at MJA Accounting. And if you're interested in checking that out, we'll link to that in the show notes, but you can also find them at mjapa.com.au. But here it is, my interview with Tim Kemp and Estella Tang from MJA Accounting. Hello, Estella and Tim. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Good to be on. Hello, Fiona. Thanks for having us. Oh, I'm so excited about this. How are you both feeling about life right now? Oh, look, life's pretty good. I think for us as accountants, we're just crawling across the line uh, after a busy pre-30 June tax planning session. But uh, yeah, other than that, we're traveling along pretty well, I think. so. We're just accounting down and getting ready to kick the start of the new financial year. Does this feel like your end of the year? Do you feel like it's like New Year's Eve? You know, the mad rush most people have at the end of the year, at the end of the calendar year. Is that how it feels for you? It's always wild for accountants at the end of the financial year. We get to about nine o'clock on the 30th of June. We're all tired and go to sleep and start the new <laughs> financial year all over again. <laughs> the next day, you know, yes. You know, we're wild and crazy as accountants, I guess. Yeah, yeah no. <laughs> Yes, totally. That's what everyone thinks, wild and crazy when they think about accounting. But we're going to be talking about accounting today. So tell us about where you work, which is MJA Accounting, and we'll link to that in the show notes. How and why and when did it start? And yeah, how are you both? What do you do there? Look, practice has been around since the 1950s. So we've been around for a little while now. We're a rural practice in a place called Lingatha in Currumburra. But our span of clients go quite wide over international, all around Australia, um, Darwin, Queensland, all sorts of places. Well, I've been with the firm as a partner since 2003. Estella has been with us for eight, five years. Yeah, five, yeah, five years. years. 
we're quite a diverse practice. There's 26 accountants or 26 on, on board as the team, four business partners, and we cover quite a fair bit in the way of tax and super, business advice, succession planning, financial planning. So not just the typical do your tax return type accounting firm, but we're sort of a bit more holistic in how we approach things. Yeah. Wow. So you're 20 years this year, Tim. Yeah, I might even be a little bit more. No, yes, that's 20 years as a partner. I think I've actually been here for another 10 on top of that. So I'm probably showing my age a little here. It's just (laughs) turned 50. But uh, yeah, um, certainly been involved for quite a few years. That's huge. And you said that MJA does quite a bit. So you mentioned the business advice and, and other things and also financial planning. Just tell me if I'm incorrect. Financial planning. You have bookkeepers there as well. Is that right? Yeah, we, we have bookkeeping on board. Yeah, basically servicing BASs, you know, quarterly BASs for clients or if not training them how to do them themselves. We do a lot of bookkeeping. We do a lot of, yeah, basically completing tax returns. Oddly enough, everyone seems to think that as accountants, we spend a lot of our time doing tax returns, but it's only a little bit of a, a small part in what we do from that compliance perspective. Mm, okay. And so how did you both get into finance as a career? Mine was, it was a TV show years ago called Family Ties. For anyone oh, my goodness. Michael but, King, um, is that right? My favourite idol was, yeah, uh, Michael J. Fox. He was a wannabe wealthy, I guess is the best way to put it. And I thought, well, he wanted to head down the road of business. He was quite an idol at the time. So I guess from 14 years of age or so, I became, uh, I was going to be an accountant. Oh, I love that. I loved family ties. And Estella, what about you? How did you get into finance? Totally different team. <laughs> I actually had no idea what I really want to be when I grow up. Then I selected finance as my uni subject was because firstly, I know that I'm good with numbers and I, I'd like to deal with numbers. And also I am interested in learning more about investments, how to read and understand financial reports, all those kind of things. I was thinking that even if I ended up with a totally different area as my career, those knowledges could still be useful tools to carry. Yeah, massively, hugely. I actually just looked at, which might scare both of you, (laughs) but I actually looked recently at accounting short courses and being like, okay, because I think the knowledge that you have, I mean, you could literally, I mean, you like what you're doing, but you could also go into any business and be incredibly, incredibly useful. Obviously business, a huge part of it is finances. So what do you think, and Tim, you've kind of already alluded to like, we do more than, you know, what most people think accountants do, but what is the purpose of an accountant? And I know that sounds like such a simple sort of idiot question, but for somebody listening, who's like, okay, I've never really thought about who my accountant is, or maybe spending more time with my accountant. What is the purpose of an accountant? Yeah, look, I think most people, when they first engage an accountant, it usually is when they're an employee starting out. So the accountant to them is, you know, they do my tax refund every year and, you know, they they get me my money back. But realistically, it's just a very small part of what we do. We do do plenty of tax compliance work, which many of your small business uh, listeners will do BASs each quarter and uh, have to do compliance reporting, which is probably the frustrating part of running your own business because not only are you an expert in your in your field or if you're especially those in the creative arts type industries, compliance and tax work is probably the last on the list of things they want to get involved in. But unfortunately, we're forced to uh, have to know a little bit of that information. But you know, from our side, we, we look at it to get to that compliance work. We have to do a fair bit behind the scenes at converting into, you know, source docs into a meaningful type of report. So then we can sort of open up a review of your business. And then 
I guess from a business advisor perspective, we use the client's data to then help them make some informed decisions, whether it be tax planning, succession planning, a bit of wealth creation. And much of what we do is about creating wealth for our for our clients. And at the same time, we're also trying to protect it from anybody trying to challenge it. People being sued, we try to make us, you know, get asset protection in place where we can. And we also deal a lot with uh, legal structures. I guess a lot of people say to me as an accountant, you must be good with numbers. Oddly enough, maths was my worst subject at school. <laughs> I think more so a lot of my job involves law and dealing with legal interpretation of laws as to how we can apply it to each person's business. And, you know, through using those structures, we can work with tax minimisation as well as that asset protection. In addition to that, I guess sometimes we're actually uh, counsellors, psychologists, friends, confidants, and we tend to often know a lot more dark uh, secrets about our clients than what many of their own families do at times because people do open up and, you know, it's a, it's a trusted relationship or what they call the trusted advisor. Yeah, and I am um, probably going a bit red thinking about Estella and how many emails she has seen from me where, where I am bearing my soul. And that's true. It's a similar thing with a business coach. People will tell you things that they're not telling even their best friends. So, yeah, how do you how do you build that kind of relationship? And I know we'll get onto this a bit further as well, but I know Estella, like I would feel, I mean, and Tim as well, but I, I work more with closely with Estella. I would feel very comfortable pretty much telling you anything so how do you build that relationship, especially when it may surprise people that I've worked with you for a couple of years, but I've really never met either of you. I, mean, I think I've met you, Tim, accidentally just walking down the street in yes. but I haven't met you face to face. And I think people sometimes worry, well, I need an accountant who lives near me or I can go in and actually go to an office. And I know you've just mentioned you work with people all over Australia and internationally. How do you build that relationship? One thing I've learned from the partners in our firm and my work colleagues is that we value our clients and always aim for building up a proactive and long-term relationship. To achieve that, I'd say regular and open communication and good connection with our clients are really important. During the year, if we see things that may be worth to bring to your attention, it can be an update in rulings that's really important and relevant to you, or maybe just simply something needs to be fixed in your file, we actually on that or let you know straight away instead of waiting till the end of the year or waiting till the client come to us. I believe with a proactive approach towards managing our client's file also makes our both sides life much easier when it comes to the actual tax preparation stage. Other than that, also, as Tim just discussed, us as accountants, what we could offer is way more than just the filing the tax return. We provide different level of services to our clients based on your unique needs. And to be able to understand what your need is and how can we help you more or better, the communication from you is also important. So just to be assured, we are happy to assist you with any tax or accounting related matters throughout the year, whenever it comes up. It doesn't have to be just the tax time. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so you've just alluded to, you know, you said more regular contact and and we've talked about already you know, a lot of people thinking that accountant just equals tax time and return on my tax. I would say that the majority of 
people I've worked with over the last eight years. And even before that, when I worked in employed roles and I'd hear from my colleagues and stuff, and, and as of myself, will only talk to their accountant at tax time. And when I started working with you guys, and I said this to you, like I was so surprised in the very first meeting, I think we had an hour long Zoom and you were explaining kind of complex, well, what I thought was complex at the time, ideas about business and what's the difference between a company and a trust fund and all these things really in a beautifully easy way for somebody like myself to get their head around. It was like exactly what you just said, Estella, taking an interest in my specific business and in what is suitable and applicable to what I specifically do, as opposed to you are just another number in our firm and we're just going to crunch the numbers and get you a return. What is normal for accountants? Because I have worked, the people before you, I worked with for six years and I thought they were amazing because I didn't really know any different. And before that, I worked with woman and she was, she was good. But you just, you, what you don't know, you don't know. So what is normal? Because I have never had the level of care that I've had from MJA. And since I've recommended people to you, and just a reminder, I get no kickback for recommending. I'm just yeah. recommending because yeah. I think it's a good thing. But what is normal? Is what yeah. you do normal? Do you think that that's what most people should expect from an accountant? Many accounts are the same. Look, some people only want the vanilla service, just do my tax. And that's okay. That's all they really want sometimes. A lot of the times things happen or they make transactions or make business decisions without talking to us first. And it makes it really hard because then we're usually cleaning up the mess afterwards if it's not done the right way. What I guess we work on a bit of a philosophy of getting to know your client. You know, we need to know our client before we can make any decisions for them. And knowing the type of client we're working with, some clients don't want more than the basics. Some are scared of the costs of the accountant. Probably touch on that a little bit further down, but it really boils down to if we know our client, what they're after, what their risk strategy is, what they're, you know, what they're aiming for out of their business, we can sort of work towards them to help them achieve in those goals. And without getting to know your client, you know, we really can't do our job and we make some pretty heavy decisions for some clients at time or give them some some solid advice. But unless we know what they what they want, then we we can't make the best advice for them. Yeah, and you and you and you really do. I know I keep like singing your praises, but honestly, you guys have just helped me so much. And even recently, I was just talking to somebody on the weekend who owns a business, and she was saying how an issue that she's having getting a mortgage because when you own a business, and obviously a lot of the time people pay themselves a bit less, and you know all these things to to help with tax and everything else. But so then it looks like your borrowing capacity is less. Anyway, I recommended the mortgage broker that you guys had recommended when we had had the same thing of a, you run a small business, getting a mortgage is, is not as straightforward as if somebody is employed and has pay slips and everything else to go on. And so, yeah, I feel like you're, you're constantly really helping people from a holistic viewpoint. So talking about when I mentioned before, when I first started talking to you and I, I started my business as a company, it's still set up as a company that will potentially go to a trust fund, but or a trust, sorry, not a trust fund. So what is the difference between being a solo operator, a company and a trust? And obviously we have listeners from all over the world. So if you're in the US, a company is like your LLC. In the UK, they have different terminology for things as well. But what is the difference between those three? And is one better than the other if you are running a small business? We might get Estella just to run through the sole trader side and I might cover off on the trust and company, if you like. Yeah. yeah. So all different entities, they have different benefits, but the key is assets protection and tax. In general, sole trading is best for businesses with a low startup costs and minimal legal requirements. It's relatively 
easy and inexpensive to set up and maintain. It doesn't require to lodge a separate tax return for business itself. Instead, all was done with your individual tax return. However, because of that, you are personally subject to all profit or losses generated from the business under the individual tax rate and can't be shared with other people or organizations. The major downside to this structure is that it forces the owner's personal assets and the financial status to business risks when things go wrong. All right. So just to be clear on that, so if people are listening and thinking, well, I'm a sole operator and it's fine. And I hear a lot from people going, oh, I'm a solo operator because, or a sole trader because I'm not earning more than, you know, $75,000 or whatever the, the kind of limit they've got in their head is. But also you've just said then that your other assets. So could that be your house? Like if you work from home and you're a sole trader and let's say your business gets into some sort of strife or litigation, is your home then part of it? Or or what other kind of assets would be potentially at risk because you're a sole trader, not a company? Yes. If you're running the business as a sole trader, basically all your personal assets and your name is subject to the risk. So your house, your car, anything yep. else in the house? Yes, okay. anything. So that's usually in a case when you're sued. So if you are sued or somebody's attacking your assets there and trying to get money out of you, the sole traders give, offers you the lease protection and a partnership's very similar. But when it comes down to if you're being sued by a bank, they usually have you all tied up completely anyway. So they've usually got the directors, doesn't matter what structure you're in. But, yeah, from a personal running it as a sole trader, you're definitely more wide open to scrutiny from from that creditor coming to attack your business. Okay, really interesting. And so then what is the difference? And you brought up partnership as well. I hadn't asked about that, but I think that's an important thing, especially when people are going into some sort of business partnership so what is, yeah, what is the difference between a company, partnership or partner and a trust? So partnerships really got the same legal responsibilities of what a, a sole trader is. The only difference with it is there's two people, you have a partnership agreement between yourself or it could be any number of people, there could be 30 people involved in a partnership if you want it to be. Generally in small business, it's one or two, it's often a, a mum and dad type structure and with yeah, the income, if both are working in the business, they can split that income between them and uh, it's a way of using some you know splitting the, the tax burden I guess to some extent with a with a company or a trust we mainly advise that really for the asset protection perspective and it's fairly important with asset protection to make sure that there's limited access to your own personal assets so basically you you've always putting two hats on you've got one hat as a as a company director or a, a business operator with a co- corporate structure Whereas opposed to if you're running a business on your own, then you've got a hat in your own personal life. But there's also times where you've got, you're also a director and you could be challenged personally on on your assets as being a company. So without trying to confuse that too much, the, the structure generally will be that if you've got a company or a trust, you will have the business operating in that one of those structures or a combination of both. And you'll be also personally operating it as a director. And I'm sure everybody's heard, you know, what's involved in being a director. But nowadays, the ATO and a couple of other organisations are starting to get around that directorship and having separation of assets. And if you do mess up, say, with your tax obligations, the ATO are actually able to start chasing down you personally. So there's a little bit less asset protection than what we've had in the past. 
So another question I think that people ask a lot or maybe also don't understand is which financial reports do you think that small business owners should be looking at regularly? I know in tools like Xero, you can look at, you know, a range of different reports. Are there ones that you would suggest to your clients that they should be looking at pretty regularly? There are two main reports definitely worth to keep track of. They are profit and loss and a balance sheet. Profit and loss shows you the net profit or loss position of the business for a certain period. It summarizes the revenue and expenses for the selected time frame and also allows you to identify which costs could potentially be reduced to improve the profitability. Balance sheet details the business's assets and liabilities. It provides a snapshot of what your business is owning and owing at a specific point in time. For example, by looking at how much money sitting in your bank account and how much debts you owe needs to be paid in the short term, you will be able to quickly assess whether you have enough cash on hand to cover the current demands. After all, cash flow is one of the most important things that to keep your business running. Other than that, if you use the software to issue invoices and create bills, the other two reports should be checked on a regular basis are trade data and the trade creditor report. Or they might be called account receivable and account payable report, depending on the software you are using. Those two help you to keep on top of outstanding invoices and the bills, especially with those overdue ones which also leads to improve your cash flow management. It'd be fair to say with the uh, the invoices and create bills function in a lot of your bookkeeping programs that not everybody uses that function. So you might be a small business, not necessarily doing invoices, or you may be doing invoices and doing that side of it okay in your in your bookkeeping program. But often people don't put in their bills and which keeps their accounts payable up to date. Sometimes this can be a very underutilised area that might be a better way of keeping a track of how much, what, what sort of expenses you've got coming up. From another side of it, there's another report that quite often, well, no bookkeeping program really does offer. And from time to time, I, I work with clients to prepare a what I call a wealth snapshot. Usually this is not just for your business situation, it's usually for your whole situation. So taking into account your personal assets, your business assets and everything else so that you can sort of assess where you're at. And that's it's quite easy if anyone's good at doing spreadsheets. You can simply list at the top of a spreadsheet all your assets and what the market value is. Sometimes I actually like to have a separate column that shows what their cost of what you originally purchased for it and then a market value beside that. And then you do the same with your liabilities and work out what your liabilities and then you work out basically where your net uh, wealth is sitting at that point in time. Quite often we see people thinking they're not getting anywhere or not making enough money because my bank account doesn't have enough funds in it. But sometimes reducing debt, if you've got debt in your business or even personally, or your assets are going up in value, they can actually contribute and show you a better picture of where you're really, how you're really performing and whether you've got assets behind you. Obviously, we don't want it going negative, but sometimes that will happen if uh, the cost of your assets are going down a little bit. The hardest part is trying to value what your business is worth. I think if you're a small operator and it's all to do with all the value in your business is, is centred around you, there's not a lot of goodwill you can value, but sometimes if you're building a business that can operate without you in it, you can ultimately become a, uh, you'll grow some value in that business as well. Just something fairly important just to note, Estella mentioned about the balance sheet. 
it's usually valued from by your accountant at cost value. So we, it's not a live timeline. Everything else seems to be fairly live with your debtors and creditors. But keep in mind that when you look at a balance sheet, all the assets that you purchase, so if you bought a property in there or something of you know, investment value, usually they will be valued at your cost value. So sometimes you will have to actually review that to say, okay, it might show on the balance sheet I bought it for $300,000, a property for argument's sake. But when you actually look at it, the property might now be worth 800000 So you need to take that into account when reviewing a balance sheet just to get that personal or that, that extra snapshot of where your wealth is actually sitting at that point in time. Wow. And so with a company, can you have, like you had a partner with, you know, up to 30 or, you know, obviously more or whatever partners in a company, can you have multiple directors as well? And are all of those directors equally liable for things? Yeah. If you're a director in a company, you're definitely liable for anything there. So if you're working on a site and somebody got seriously injured, work cover could certainly have a go in on director negligence. So it's important to sort of structure that. We often have situations where um, from an asset protection, we've seen it where say a, a couple might be working, running the business, one owns all the assets in their house and the other one is the director. So if they ever do get sued, they will go the director, but the person who owns all the other assets are not and their assets are harder to get to. There's a little bit of sometimes there's a moral obligation in that, that some people think, oh, I don't want to do that. That's not fair. And that's totally okay too. It just comes down to people's view on how they they want to structure that whole uh, setup. There's also with that shareholders. So there's a difference between a director and a, and a shareholder. Shareholders own the assets. So if the business went belly up, the shareholders lose their money. Whereas a director can have can own shares in that company, but at the same time, they can also be sued if anything goes wrong in the business as well. Wow. Okay. And so then what is the difference between a trust and a company? Why would someone become a trust as a small business? Yeah, the trust, so just on a company from a tax perspective, it pays a flat rate of tax from every first dollar, which is about 25% for most small businesses. With a trust, you actually operate it and it's a little bit similar to a partnership in the way it can distribute its profits. The trust has a bit more flexibility in how it can get income and profits out of the, the entity into, into the individuals or what we call beneficiaries. So a trust has a beneficiary that usually receives the profits each year out of the trust. In the past, we've been very keen to use utilise trusts with what we call a corporate trustee. And the reason for that is that we'd be able to split income amongst other family members as well as getting asset protection. In saying that, the ATO recently have uh, brought out a ruling which has made running a trust a lot harder and we used to be able to distribute to various families using children or parents or whoever that might be available to take a, you know, a distribution. The ATO's recent rulings basically said that unless you're actually physically going to pay the funds over, it's going to be a lot harder for you to distribute to other family members. Oh, okay. So it sounds like they're cracking down. And is this where trust fund babies come from, that their parents used to be able to give a lot of money to them and yep. it wasn't actually their money? It was just sort of a tax deduction? It's, it used to be. It's, it's been accepted for 40-odd years that that was the process where, you know, you could distribute to the children and all of that. But now they're basically saying, unless you're prepared to pay them, so if I, I wanted to distribute to a child of $50,000 and they would pay the tax on that at their marginal tax rate, I would physically have to give the $50,000 or and it's not allowed to sit there as a loan anymore. In the past, it has been a loan, which ultimately in many family arrangements, the uh, kids will get that one day when we're not around. 
that that's not going to happen, unfortunately, from here on in. So they've really closed that loophole. So ultimately, it comes down to paying the individuals involved in the business a fair amount. And certainly, if you've got kids that work in the business, they can be presently entitled to receive a, a distribution if there is the opportunity there. Okay. And so then if you're a small business owner and you're listening to this and thinking, oh, well, I just set up as a sole trader because that's, you know, what I used to do or what I didn't know that I could do something else. How does somebody decide which one is better for them? And unfortunately, I think that's something you've got to have a discussion with an accountant on. Mm-hmm. It really boils down to everybody's personal situation, looking at what their their aversion to risk is. I've had certainly, I've had, you know, doctors that need to set up multiple trusts and are scared of being sued. And obviously, if you're in a high-risk zone, we should be having a chat. If you're you know, running a small business, just ticking along, I know, as Estella alluded to earlier, sometimes if you're in a very small business starting off, they're looking at the cost of the structure. You know, basically, setting up a company or a trust will be somewhere in the vicinity of $2,000 initially right from the get-go. So it sometimes influences decisions. One one of the advantages or something that's come out in the last few years, which has been terrific, is the ATO has now accepted that we can do a small business rollover. So if you are operating and starting out as a sole trader, we can now actually roll it into a company or a trust without any tax adverse consequences of making that rollover. So you're not necessarily boxed in once you have done it. And sometimes it's good just to start off as a sole trader with the intention somewhere down the track, you'll roll over into a different structure as as your business builds. Yeah. Okay. And so the other thing when you just mentioned about costs and that could come into play when you're deciding which kind of structure you want to have, there are costs, obviously, having a company. And as the employee in your own company, you have things like work cover and other such fees, which I think a lot of people don't realize that they have to pay. I mean, I remember having a conversation going, well, I work in my own business. I'm not going to sue myself. And then, you know, I have to pay work cover and I get sent the little posters that I jokingly put up in the kitchen going, hey, OH&S. Like, and I, I know I shouldn't necessarily joke about that, but what are the costs that people may not know that they should legally be be paying? Yeah, some, some of the hidden costs, especially involved in a company, is a company, if you want money out of the company, it's got to come out to you as either a dividend or a wage. And if you do take out a wage, there are on costs there, like, as you said, the work cover, you'll also have to pay yourself superannuation. You have no choice. You have to pay that under the superannuation guarantee scheme. And if you choose not to, the ATO will actually still come at you and charge you superannuation guarantee penalties on top, which is... Yeah, many small businesses say, well, I'm paying myself, so what's the difference? Unfortunately, legislation says that if you're an employee, you must comply with work cover standards, payroll tax if you're becoming quite large. Most small businesses won't have a payroll tax issue, but you will definitely have those on costs of, of doing it. In addition to that, I guess, is the cost of the bookkeeping. And a lot of the time, you'll also have to pay yourself wages through a, a bookkeeping program, whether that be zero or mild or QuickBooks or Quicken. You'll have to have a program that will allow you to be able to do wages and pay for that if you're in a company or trust scenario. Trust, not so bad. You don't necessarily have to do it and pay yourself a wage because you can pay yourself as a distribution. Oh, my goodness. So interesting. And so... We've got got heavy. (laughs) I mean, it's... it's, But I think this is stuff people don't even realise that they have to do or that there are legal complications. And I think this is one of the big learnings when I moved to you guys that you were like, oh, (laughs) you know, have you been doing this? Have you been doing that? And I think this was something that I sort of, and I think, again, other people have this same idea that, oh, I've got an accountant 
surely they're looking at this stuff for me and I don't need to be proactive. And I think a lot of the cases that is not actually happening. And you've also got to remember, I remember one accountant who was saying, well, you're signing the piece of paper. It'll be the ATO coming after you, not me as an accountant. So, and if anyone's listening from overseas, the ATO is just Australian Tax Office. So Tim, what, you've been in this game for a long time, and Estella, feel free to jump in as well. What sort of things do you think small business owners are fearful about when they're moving to a new accountant or just starting to work with an accountant full stop? I think the cost is always the first one. Let's uh, get the elephant in the room out of the way. Um, The cost is always something that people fear. They look and go, how much is this going to cost me? In many cases, we've looked at it. I know certainly the higher end accounting firms and the big four and that type of thing, they'll always say, yeah, it's going to cost you, but what's it going to save you? And that saving might actually be whether you've got a, whether your asset protected in, in times where things go, things go wrong, I guess. But when it boils down to it, the cost is certainly something that people look at and say, oh, this is going to cost me a fortune. We're not lawyers. We're not quite there. But when it, it, it and I'm not going to hide behind it. We are, you know, it is an expensive exercise at times to go through that whole restructuring or anything like that with your small business. At the end of the day, you get what you pay for. And if, you know, if someone wants a vanilla service with not a lot there, you know, we can certainly tailor to that. But yeah, a lot of people get the, get the advantage or the best benefit of their accountant by actually asking the questions and getting their answers, um, questions answered is probably the most important thing for them so that they can make better business decisions. Yeah, totally. And I think that it's very similar to business coaching. You get what you pay for. You know, if you want to go the cheapest possible route, then you may not get the experience that, you know, you're looking for. So lots of people are really scared to show me their financials. I know that when we do business coaching, what would you say to someone who's thinking I should change accountants or maybe I should work with MJA or, you know, another accountant, but then I'm going to have to relay to them all the worst parts of my business, all the mess behind the scenes. It's very confronting. It's like almost people changing psychologists. It's like I have to start from scratch again and tell everyone all my problems. What would you say to that? Or people even that are thinking you're going to judge them somehow for the mess that they've put them, you know, that they've gotten into. Yeah, well, just to be assured that there's absolutely no judgment at all, no matter how your business is going. And in fact, to those who are listening to the podcast now as a small business owner or seriously preparing yourself to start a business, you should just be proud of yourselves that you have the courage and the perseverance to run a business with something you're passionate about. It may not go in as well as you wish right now, or you may feel you have no clue on what to do with the financing side of it. But that's why we're here for. We're here to support you, not judge you. And also, I see a big customer service role in our job. So just uh, let us do what we are good at, looking after your file, providing the accounting side of support where you need so that you can focus on doing what you are good at with your business activities and make it grow. I think the key here is that we work together. So, so much. And Tim, did you have anything to add to that? or your? Yeah, look, effectively, we just see it all. Nothing really surprises us. There's certainly no judgment from our side and we've certainly picked up things that uh, someone could improve their business along the way or sometimes a clean set of eyes over the file can make a big difference to it. I think the other thing is sometimes when we're working in our business, we're not working on our business and mm-hmm. sometimes we can pick up some of those things that, that you might miss because you're too close to the source. You'll often find from a 
a relationships perspective with your accountant, often we know a little bit more than the real world or even our, some of our own partners and everything. We Clients tend to confide an awful lot in in what they do and and we sort of need to know that picture sometimes and, you know, sometimes we would know about, you know, various things or health issues or other things that not the, the rest of the world doesn't know, but it's actually quite important in how we advise in the bigger picture. Mm. And that relationship is really important that we build with, with our clients and I always say know your client. Over the years we've picked up, you know, little things, even somebody with a gambling addiction and they didn't realise it and tried to help them there and, you know, we still maintain a relationship with that client 20 years on which has been great. So I guess we've all got the ugly part of the backyard that we never quite get around to cleaning <laughs> up. The books are probably no different. And I guess from our side of it, it's just trying to make sure the whole house is in order and not just for the businesses, but also the the operators. So it's not just the, you know, if you own a company, it's not the company we're interested in. We're looking at the big picture of companies, individuals, family and everything else. Yeah. Oh, there's so much truth to that. Oh, I'm like blushing because you guys have seen all the mess <laughs> behind my business too and so when you're in that situation and like I said it's almost like a psychologist and and like you said people all sorts of things from gambling addiction through to health issues through to maybe just extra spending that they didn't want to tell their partner about or or something else how do you both stay engaged when you're sort of dealing with these issues all day long or when people can be quite tense talking about their money or or stressing about oh my gosh I owe this much tax back you have to deal with that, but you're also then under the pump yourself because it's really, it's tax time or it's a very stressful period. Like how do you both stay engaged in what you're doing? Yeah, look, some, some days you actually feel you're taking on the burdens of the world that aren't your burdens to take on, but we often, we're there for the ride with our clients a lot of the time. Look, from my side of it, keeping engaged and just trying to stay on top of things, you know, I'm just lucky I've got great staff in my business. You know, I've got some terrific accountants like Estella in our office and and support crew and, you know, they help us get through there and we're, we're a bit fortunate. We've got 26-odd people in our practice so that, you know, if, if one of us is struggling to be able to get through the work, we can get somebody else to assist and we've got a great range of knowledge right across the practice to be able to to cover that off. But I guess from my side of it, you know, workflow management, prioritising the work's essential for me to know who, who's most important, who needs dealing with it. And if I've got to drop everything today to get a certain job across the line to, to save a client or help a client, sometimes we've got to do that. It's like going to see a doctor if you're, if you're in line with something and the, the doctor in front or the person in front of you is uh, bleeding madly, well, you know, they're getting priority. So sometimes it's a bit like that for ourselves. But uh, I guess while often it's quite stressful at times dealing with it, seeing our clients appreciate our efforts and improving the situations, you know, quite rewarding for us. Well, for me, I think it's purely just the passion about my job and the care to my clients closely monitoring my workflows and prioritize what's the more urgent on the list that helps me stay on top of all my jobs and the tasks. Mm, oh my goodness. You are very passionate. And so nice. I like Estella because Estella is predominantly who I'm working with. And yes, you're very passionate about money <laughs> and numbers and stuff. We do have outside interests other than just work, but it seems to absorb a fair bit. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, what a great thing to be passionate about because you're helping so many people. And so what are you both most proud of from your journey in your careers so far? I'm probably really lucky. I own my own small business. We'll call it a small business, four partners and 26-odd staff in the office. We work really hard in the business and my staff work really hard as well. And sometimes 
I guess it consumes me. But in reality, the clients that I've met over the journey are something else. They're, they're just some amazing people when you never know what you're, you're going to see on a daily basis. You do build a big relationship with your clients, but sharing their journey is a big part of what we do and a lot of the enjoyment from what we get out of our job too. Yeah, huge. And Estella? Yeah, I came to Australia as an international student eight years ago and with uh, English as my second language. So I'm simply just uh, super proud of myself with what I have learned, grew and achieved so far in my career. Like also, I'm very grateful that I have such a supportive working environment with and other work colleagues and partners in the firm. Also, the trust from my clients is the biggest accomplishment to my work and it motivates me the most. It makes me feel that I'm valuable and I'm doing something meaningful when they show the appreciation. Probably add to that and just say, you know, Estella is a rock star. The way she has taken <laughs> it on and the way she gets things done is just amazing. So, Thank you. It is amazing. And both of you, I mean, the way that I came to you is through my sister who raves about you, Tim, and really, you know, considers you a real mentor and person in her life as well. So I feel like then I met Estella and then I rave about Estella to everyone. So it's, you guys are doing such a good job in that whole relationship building. And I think when people think of accountants, they don't always think of relationship building. They think of numbers and crunching and can you get me more money back at tax time? But it's so much more than that. And so if people are listening to this and they're thinking, I want to connect with MJA or I've got a question for you about my own accountant and should I swap? Where can people connect with you? And then what's next for MJA? If you're interested to talk to us, just the search MJA Accounting. We have listed our office numbers and contact email in our website. So we are based in rural Victoria, but everything can be done remotely now. So wherever you are based in Australia, feel free to give us a call or send an email for any inquiry you may have. We also have plenty of clients international, interstate. Yeah, which which I guess now now with the the modern world of technology, we can be anywhere. Really working with clients, and uh, we do have yeah a lot of a lot of clients outside of the state that we work with as well. Building the relationships are really the key to that. I was just going to ask that. So because people will, you know, sometimes assume, oh, no, Victorian accountant, you know, if you're in the state of Victoria or this particular state in Australia, you have to work with an accountant in that state because maybe there's different laws or different things. But, yeah, just to reiterate, you work with people everywhere and even outside of Australia. Absolutely, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much and thank you for taking so much time out of your hectic schedule at this time of year in particular. But, yeah, really, really appreciate it. I think this is going to help so many people on their journey and yeah just even if they literally call their accountant and have an extra conversation that they wouldn't have had otherwise so thank you so much thank you for having us thanks for having us bye bye Bye. talking about money I know can be such a confronting thing but the more that we do it the more we get comfortable asking for help around money the more we understand finances and have some financial literacy we understand which reports to be looking at we just become better business owners so the more that you can do it as uncomfortable or as awkward as it may feel the better you're going to run a business and so I just want to thank again Estella and Tim for coming on from MJA Accounting I took so much from that I know that 
you'll get so much out of this, regardless of whether you already have a great relationship with your accountant, or if this is something you've never really thought about, but now that you've listened, you're like, actually, that is what I want. I want somebody who's on my team, who feels like part of the team and is there to proactively help me with my money and with my financial literacy. So if you want to get in touch with MJA, you can Google MJA Accounting. It's M for Michael, J for James, A for Adam. Oh, why did I choose boys' names? You know, anyway, it's MJA Accounting and you can find them at mjapa.com.au. We'll link to that in the show notes as well. And like they say, they work with people internationally as well as all over Australia. So if you're outside of Melbourne or outside of regional Victoria, where they're based, please know that you can work with them wherever you are. So I just want to thank them again. I would love to know what you took away from today's episode. What are the things that really stood out to you? As usual, I'm going to highlight two, although there's so much more than that. The first is just how focused they are on relationship building and making it a safe space for people to really get vulnerable and talk about not even just money issues, but also money hopes. What am I trying to do in the future? What do I want from this business financially? How am I going to make this work? How much do I want to pay myself? Where's my superannuation at? Do I need to pay back a hex debt? What does that look like? Are there grants or other other things that I should be going for as a business? They allow you that safe space to ask those questions and to do so in a way where you're not feeling judged, you're not feeling that somebody's going to be like, really, you haven't paid your tax for five years? Are you serious? You will never get that sort of treatment with MJA. They're always so open, so warm. As I said at the start, when I first met them, you know, we were talking about different company structures and other things. And Tim was just so kind and real and and warm in the way that he answered a lot of my questions. There was no sort of, oh, shouldn't you know that? Or how are you not clear on that? Or any of that sort of judgment. There was just a judgment-free zone. So I think that relationship building is so important, no matter what you're offering, whether you offer service like MJA or you are in a product-based business, the relationships is where you are going to really nurture finances as well, to be real, the more people feel comfortable and confident with you and the more that you're actually having a genuine connection, the more likely they are to either work with you again or buy from you again or tell other people about it just as I'm doing now with MJA. When you can cultivate that relationship and really look at how are you doing that, if that's taking time out to do a really clear onboarding with a new client like Tim and Estella did with me, whether it is taking the time, like Estella has done many, many times, to answer my questions or to go over something three or four times if I'm not understanding it and and being okay with that. Also in a product-based business, in terms of relationships, there's so many ways that you can use your point of sale system to write notes about people so that, you know, oh, that person bought a candle, they were selling, you know, they were getting it for their mother's 60th. When they come back in, how was your mom's 60th? Did she like the candle? It takes two seconds to write that stuff into a note system or to create a CRM system. That doesn't take two seconds, but you can create a CRM system even in Excel. You know, you don't have to always invest in some huge tool like Salesforce, but really thinking about how are we relationship building in every single part of our business. And then the second thing that stood out to me, and I think It stood out because I just know that so many people either feel scared about this or don't know where to start or 
maybe have like all sorts of money mindset limitations going on, but is just to educate yourself around money. Tim and Estella talked about the different reports that people should be looking at, but also talking to people who know what they're talking about, like an accountant, a financial planner, other people to really ask for that help and to seek that out. And I love that Tim brought out that sometimes when you you're not so attached to the business because you're outside of it. So you're a business coach or you're an accountant or you're a lawyer or something else. You can see things that maybe the people in the business can't see because they're so close to it. And I think that is such a good reason to seek out help and to ask. And it could be an accountant or a business coach, but it could also just be another business person or a family friend who's got a business. I mean, maybe not be asking them specific accounting questions if they don't have those (laughs) qualifications, but to be asking for help and to seek more knowledge, particularly around finances. So many people go into business to make more money than they were doing in a, you know, another role or to make the same amount of money and to get more time back or to do a bit of both. And so we have that goal. And yet I know that a lot of people don't seek out help to better understand that goal or to better understand how they can achieve that goal. And so money is a huge reason why people get into business, but it's also a huge reason why people have to shut down their businesses because there is no kind of cash flow. There isn't anything happening to sustain the business financially long-term. And so we spend so much time on learning about Instagram or TikTok or threads or whatever the latest thing is. And yet maybe we could spend just a bit of that time investing and learning about our finances from an accountant, from somebody who is qualified in this area, a financial planner, an accountant, even a bookkeeper, but to be talking to these people. And if you are already paying these people, see how you can catch up with them more regularly or see how you could ask them a couple of more questions. Don't be afraid to do that. I think sometimes in business, people feel like, well, I should just know the answer. And it's really important to be like, I don't know the answer to this. Can you please explain it to me? Because the more financial literacy we can all have, particularly women, it's going to be better for the whole community and everyone else long-term. And it's a better, it's just a better business investment to spend your time looking at the things that are actually going to help you long-term as opposed to maybe getting caught up in things like social media. I know I always slam out social media. Social media is fantastic. But I think if people took a little bit of the time they spend trying to analyze and figure out social media into trying to analyze and figure out their finances, we'd be in a better position overall as business owners. So that is it for today's episode. If you wanted to find out the link to MJA or go through this in text format, you can find the podcast show notes over at mydailybusiness.com forward slash podcast forward slash 334. Just a massive thank you again to Tim and Estella from MJA Accounting, and you can find them at mjapa.com.au and we'll link to them in the show notes as well. But you can also just Google MJA Accounting. All right. Thank you so much. And I'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to the My Daily Business Podcast. For a range of tools to help you grow and start your business, including coaching programs, courses, and templates, check out our shop at mydailybusiness.com forward slash shop. And if you want to get in touch, you can do that via email, hello at mydailybusiness.com, or you can hit us up on Instagram at mydailybusiness underscore. You can find us on TikTok at mydailybusiness or find me, Fiona Kalaki, on LinkedIn. I look forward to connecting.